One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. That is the sound of Argentina becoming campeones del mundo. Welcome to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Ruri Barlow. I'm your host. I'm joined by Roman de Arquer after we've watched a thrilling final. If you don't know the results, I don't know where you've been or what you've been doing, but you, you've, you're absolutely mad. Lionel Messi lifting the World Cup after free all draw after extra time. They then win it on penalties. Again, Dibu Martinez coming up massive. Some people are calling this the greatest ever World Cup final, Roman. I mean, that's that's a big call, but it was definitely a very, very exciting final. I mean, it felt like uh, the game was pretty much over at half-time, you know, because um, Argentina dominated the game. I, I don't think France barely got close to uh, their op- opponent's goal. They, they were really, really dull, really poor. And, I mean, of course... What happened in the last uh, 15, 20 minutes changed the game completely. It was a big surprise, but uh, I mean, I can understand why those are calling it one of the best finals ever because it had a bit of everything, you know. It had the extra time, the penalties, the excitement of going up, going, uh, drawing late on. It had everything, so it was definitely a super great final to have and to watch. Yeah, it's it's certainly the most thrilling that I can recall. It was was really an incredible watch, and of course, I mean. We can't sort of skirt around it. Lionel Messi, obviously a man very close to many people's hearts, but particularly Barcelona fans. What was it like just watching him and what does this mean for his legacy, his iconography? This was everything a fairy tale could have possibly dreamed for Lionel Messi. It is. I mean, I honestly thought that there was so much pressure on him on Argentina that uh, it was likely they would fail, um, especially after the beginning of the World Cup where they lost 2-1 against Saudi Arabia. It felt like... Uh, it was all an illusion, you know, that Argentina really had an opportunity. But then, little by little, they won improving game after game. And in this final, I mean, having Messi there, having scored in every knockout stage of the competition when before he never scored in any knockout stage of a World Cup was, was pretty impressive. And doing it in the final, you know, 
uh, especially the second goal when he got that. I felt like that could be the winner. Messi could have, you know, maybe just done it for them, and then it was it was game over, and he was going to lift the World Cup. Um, but then, of course, France were very persistent. They got uh, always back uh, to the draw to the level terms, and then, I mean. I was, I was doubting, I was worried that he might not achieve it, but of course, even if he hadn't won it for me, he would still be the best ever. I mean, he's won everything else. He's just incredible to watch. And still, uh, seeing that he now won the World Cup, I mean, there's not really arguments against Messi now of not being the best ever, you know? I mean, it's hard to defend otherwise. And seeing how happy he was the moment after lifting the World Cup, the only thing I wasn't very happy about was him having to wear uh, that thing they gave him at the end because that iconic image that's gonna last uh, forever you know and, and, and it's gonna be something people are gonna see in 20 30 100 200 years or whatever it's gonna be with this weird black thing you know black coat whatever you want to call it so that's a bit disappointing honestly uh, but aside from that it's it's lovely to see Messi finally win the World Cup and if anyone had doubts as I said that he was the best now I think you can't have a single complaint yeah, I think the the cape apparently is called a bisht, and it's it's given to people out there as a kind of a sign of respect um, and a sense of success and wealth. Um, and I understand that maybe they maybe that's a traditional thing in Qatar. Um, I can't profess to be an expert on those those customs, but my word, what a self-centered, egotistical, ridiculous gesture! As you say, this is this is an iconic image. This is a moment that Lionel Messi has dreamed of for. For his entire sort of like conscious life, we've all dreamed and, of it. A, a lot of us, you know, and like having that image. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, and having having them insert themselves into that moment, and even Infantino and the other guy next to him, I, I wasn't aware of who he was, but yeah, just making the moment all about themselves was was disgraceful. But yeah, many rants over. And um, back onto <laughs> the game. Uh, this was going pretty well for Argentina. Lionel Scaloni for about seventy minutes, I thought, got everything spot on, including starting Angel Di Maria. Then things started to go wrong. I probably wouldn't have put Marcos Acuna on left wing myself. Um, but yeah, it, Argentina played very well for the majority of this match, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it was really incredible to see how good they were on the field, seeing how the evolution has been where they started, as I said before, against Saudi Arabia, playing very poorly, or quite poorly. I mean, they had good moments, but uh, they, they were easily dominated uh, towards the second half in that first game of, of the competition but then little by little you know you could see that something was, was really cooking there and, and in this game I mean they, they looked really strong really solid at the back uh, they didn't concede barely anything against France you know I mean Giroud who's the top French scorer ever against Mbappé who in the end managed to break through of course I mean France had Dembélé had great players in attack you know and in that first half they were completely cancelled out and then of course in the second half Argentina came out pretty good as well, you know, they still looked uh, a similar level uh, and of course that substitution of Di Maria maybe, as you said, wasn't ideal even though I understand that Di Maria isn't maybe at its best level physically or, or maybe Scaloni thought that the defensive move could kind of help and, and close down definitively uh, the French players because they were really struggling also in that second half until finally out of nowhere you know those two goals completely changed the game but very impressive from Argentina you know they were playing really good football and, and it felt like they deserved to win uh, even though it was going to be um, a bit of a, a boring game for some moments uh, for 60-70 minutes but then of course uh, football is, is magical and these uh, unexpected things uh, tend to happen you know yeah surprised impressed with how good they were just in terms of sort of dominating the game more or less I, I, I think most people thought that even though 
Argentina had done very well and they'd made their way through the knockout stages. France were cut above what they'd faced so far, but they they proved their, their quality against them. I remember about a week or two weeks after Kylian Mbappe decided to stay at PSG, there was a lot of Real Madrid think pieces about how they didn't need Mbappe, how the team was better off without the ego that Kylian Mbappe would have brought to this team. And Vinicius was on the left anyway, so there's probably, I mean, you could add him, but it wasn't necessarily the best thing for Real Madrid. And that's potentially still a valid opinion, but it seems quite hard to argue at it right now when he's on 13 World Cup goals at the age of, what, 23? It is, it is. I mean, Mbappe is, is top class. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, he almost won his second World Cup with that age, so that would have even been more incredible. But uh, there's no doubt that... He's the kind of player you know that's going to step up and is going to lead teams to, to win titles and he's almost done it again uh, in the World Cup and he's going to do it in the future with PSG, with Madrid or whichever team he goes and, and in, the, in the future France are always going to be you know or most likely going to be contenders for the next uh, few Euro and World, World Cups coming up because with him in front anything can happen. These differential players are key in, in these competitions like for example Spain doesn't have an Mbappé you know up front doesn't have a Messi doesn't have a top quality striker that can lead the team forward and they really uh, felt that in these last uh, few uh, competitions they've played since uh, we were so successful so of course that's going to be really helpful and I mean Mbappé is, is, is world class and Madrid are going to really want to hope that they can finally sign him which seems likely I guess unfortunately for us Barca fans but I mean it's the best I guess for, for La Liga to have a player like him uh, join the competition, take into account the Messi and Ronaldo era is over, or the Messi era maybe not so over. <laughs> we'll see about that. But uh, yeah, Mbappe is, is fantastic. Player. Yeah, it was a remarkable performance from him. I think it, was, it might have been Gary Lineker in in the UK who was saying that he was pleased that both Messi and Mbappe scored, so that both of them sort of had their moment in a sense, and there wasn't this sort of narrative about bottling or, or sort of blame game as to who didn't show up in this game because both definitely did show up and exhibited their class. It wasn't a great night for the rest of La Liga's representatives on the French side. Dembélé, of course, hooked after 40 minutes. Koundé really struggled to get to grips with Di Maria, as you're saying. And then Antoine Griezmann as well, hooked after about 60, 70 minutes, which I was astounded at I have to say even if Deschamps can say that he got it right because he got them back into the game I, I was still blown away by that and Camavinga as well he, I thought he was decent enough when he came on but yeah this was um, con concerning and I think Xavi will have to um, again have another chat with Dembele when he gets back and try and <laughs> try and work on some things I, I really hope it doesn't come to that if, I mean it's true that Dembele hasn't had a great competition Overall, although he was important for Deschamps, I mean, he was starting, I think, every game. Uh, so, I mean, he definitely had his trust and, and he's going to have Xavi's trust when he comes back. But it was unfortunate for him to to be part of that first goal from Argentina with the penalty, of course. And, and you could tell that he wasn't really as electric as you'd want Mbappe to be. And then similarly to, to Griezmann, whom for many, he was going to be one of the best or the best player of the competition. Messi aside, of course, after winning it. But, you know, a lot of people were saying that Griezmann was was really a different player compared to one we've been seeing in past few years with Barca or, or even Atleti, where he has improved. But still, with France, it seems like he's just another step over or above that. So, I mean, uh, it was quite surprising to see him not playing maybe at uh, his best level but I think it's also credit to Argentina you know because tactically also I think they were uh, the better side and they managed to kind of uh, 
cancel out all these important players who, who really uh, struggle to have their moments in the match. Um, but yeah, I mean, France in the end, despite, for me, for me they're kind of like um, the, the Real Madrid in, in terms of nations, you know, when they pl play football because they have that capacity to score goals at any time, even though they're not playing their best uh, on the pitch. And, and that's kind of what happened. It was reflected again in this game, similarly against Morocco, for example, where Marco had really good chances there, he played really good football and, and you know, France got an early goal out of nowhere and they got the other goal and they kind of ended the game with that, you know, so uh, France have this capacity because they have these quality players uh, such as the ones we've been mentioning, the ones we have in La Liga, but it was true that these two in this case weren't that good, Whether, whereas, sorry, um, Chouamini I think had a decent match and Camavinga when he came on I think he was a breath of fresh air for uh, France in, in that match, so 50-50 uh, I guess for the Spanish uh, well, Spanish, Spanish La Liga players, we could say in this case, sorry, uh, in from France. Yeah, on the opposite side, I thought, um, well, Molina had a relatively decent game up until kind of the last 30, well, 20 minutes that he was on. Um, Rodrigo de Pau, what on earth has happened to this player? Because even in that first game against Saudi Arabia, he, he was the Atleti um, player that we've seen for the last kind of six, seven months or so. And then, and then, yeah, just ran forever. Him and Enzo, Enzo Fernandez in midfield were just incredible, like really impressive stuff at such a high level. And I think for me, that was perhaps the part of the sort of um, continued narrative of this Argentina side, because we saw last sort of in the Copa America when Argentina won that, we saw that Messi was brilliant. He got them to the final, essentially dragged them through some games. He had incredible. And again, that was the case this time round. But in that Copa America final, it was a DePaul ball to a Di Maria sort of finish over the keeper against Brazil. This time, Divo Martinez, who, who stepped up in those games in the Copa America, again, massive. Di Maria, massive. DePaul, huge. And I think the fact that they finally managed to step up and sort of put this into the sort of realm of being achievable for Messi. Um, that's part of this Argentina story. But but yeah, food for thought for Diego Simeone, who I think has to try and get some of these performances. Because like you say, Griezmann, one of the players of the tournament. Molina, very good. I think he dealt with pretty much everything that was thrown at him to, to an extent. And DePaul, again, one of the players of the tournament. Maybe not quite in that sort of top echelon, but he's around there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the mentality, the ambition is completely different uh, with the Argentinian national team than it is with Atletico Madrid, you know, in the end. Uh, I think uh, it's really, there's really like a united squad there. They're, they're just all, they were all for one in Argentina. They were, uh, they were, they were even celebrating while they were getting to the stadium before the final on the bus, you know, they were singing and jumping. They were already like hyped up excited you, you could see that it's it's a family you know it's very different to what we're maybe seeing at Atletico where for example Joao Felix you know uh, is not happy with what's happening and Simeone either they're kind of mad at each other so I mean the atmosphere is completely different and, and I think uh, this has allowed the players uh, to improve and I, that's why I say it's, it's a mental thing rather than in terms of quality or, or physically you know because if the players feel like in their minds that they can win the game, that they can actually achieve things, it completely changes uh, how they perform and, and this is a clear example with those Atletico players. Yeah, yeah, and credit to Lionel Scaloni for building that family and mm -hmm. for, for uh, I can't think of the word, um, constructing that unity. But, um, but yeah, we'll wrap up part one now and we'll come on to sort of some of the stuff more domestically in Spain. It, 
any final thoughts or final pronouncements on Argentina, Messi, the World Cup as a whole? Um, yeah, sum it up for us, Roman. Well, I mean, as I said before, seeing Messi is just a beautiful image. I mean, I think uh, people over all over the world were were supporting uh, Argentina mainly, or mainly, be, yeah, mainly because of Messi. I'd say practically because he's he's such an icon. He's a figure. He's he's such a talented player and also uh, a loved player. I think you know because the way he is, he's not the kind of guy who gets into trouble, you know, and and he's easy to to like and love and and to see him finally achieve. The World Cup was was just special because he's won Champions League, he's won leagues, he's won everything you can imagine. He has all the titles. I don't know how many Golden Boots I can't even remember now, and all the Ballon d'Ors and everything you can imagine. And it was the World Cup he was just missing, you know. And finally, seeing in his hands that golden, beautiful trophy was 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 incredible. So, uh, especially happy for him, and of course for Argentinians all around the world who who are just different, you know. When it comes to football, they they have some sort of passion that uh, feels like nobody else can achieve or no other nation uh, seems to understand or, or have you know so that's also incredible and, and happy for them yes it was pretty heartwarming it has to be said but with that we will end part one and we'll be back in two minutes with part two and we'll get on to some of the stuff happening in spain Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome back to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. We've just sort of um, taken a final note of the World Cup and uh, taken stock of what was an exhausting three hours in that World Cup final, but uh, an incredible tournament. It feels silly, it feels kind of ridiculous, because normally we get about a six-week break until we get meaningful football after the World Cup, but we have just about 48 hours or so. On Tuesday evening, we will be back in action in Spain. The Copa del Rey starts. 
I mean, it is an earlier rounds and there's um, sort of seeded ties. We don't have any of the four Spanish Super Cup teams competing in it, but there are some interesting ones in there. In particular for me, Sestao River Club Athletic Club. They're about, I think it's 20 kilometers away, even less than that, about 15 between the two stadiums. Is there any other kind of highlights that stick out for you in this Copa del Rey round? Yeah, there are some interesting games here we should uh, be interested in, I guess, watching because, of course, it's, as you said, early stages of the competition. It's not any massive games, but you still have strong teams like uh, Atletico Madrid, like Villarreal, Real Sociedad, etc., who still uh, won. And, of course, uh, we did have a uh, disappointment, I guess, in the previous round with Almeria being maybe the highest profile team to, to get knocked out, that case against Arenteiro. Uh, but here, for example, it would be interesting to see um, games between second division teams, especially I'd say in my in my opinion, for example, with Oviedo against Granada or even Levante against Andorra. But then, as you said, the one you mentioned is also a pretty good one between Athletic and Sestao. And then to see other teams, you know how they've evolved after this little preseason, like Villarreal, for example, who still have an easy fixture, but you know uh, they've been able to to get some games uh, with uh, Kike Setien as the manager, and you know and other teams that also have been cap- able to to get a few more extra minutes in their boots, which will definitely help uh, when the season comes back at the end of the year. Yeah, and uh, Arantero are taking on Atletico Madrid, who have had quite, I mean, they went out to the Sociedad last year, but they've had quite a record of um, cup sets um, in recent years, and going out to Cornellà the year before that was uh, pretty pretty um, embarrassing for Diego Simeone and Atleti. You mentioned Villarreal there, of course, I, I was reading a fascinating story from Relevo, which was kind of blew my mind, where Kike Setien, apparently, when he came into the job, he mistook Jeremy Pino for a youth player and then referred to him as Yerai. This then, of course, I mean, we know that Setien didn't have a good start. I think this uh, brought about quite a bit of laughter in the Villarreal squad. And then following that, Fernando Reutsch, the president of Villarreal, got a call from, well, he spoke to the sort of dressing room heavyweights, they mentioned that to him, and ended up calling Kike Setien and saying, explaining to him, please call him Yeremi. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, so that was kind of a part of this whole sort of narrative, that Setien was a bit kind of out of the loop, he was a bit out of touch, he wasn't kind of prepared for this job. You said that they've had kind of a bit of an improvement in this kind of mini preseason that they've been doing. How do you see them faring and do you have kind of faith in Setien to kind of turn it around? Honestly, I've, I've always liked Setien despite uh, what happened at Barca and despite everything. I think he's a very valid manager and honestly I think Villarreal is a club that really fits his style. Of course, as you said, he's been away quite a while and, that, and due to that uh, it seems like he wasn't aware of of some current players in the squad and, and with the names and that kind of stuff, which of course is a very bad look if that's actually true. And it is in great. And, and, and there was a lot of rumors where they were saying that maybe he'd be knocked out or kicked out, sorry, um, after that game against Espanyol if, he, if they lost or something like that. And they got a, a very tight 1 0 win, uh, which uh, seemed to have saved the spot. But honestly, I mean, you can't judge a manager after just uh, what it was, four or five games, I think it was. Uh, Taking into account two of those were. Uh, in the European competition, the Conference League, where where Villarreal were already qualified, they weren't importing games. Of course, the sensations were great, especially after having Unai Emery, who took them all the way to the Europa League. But you need to give a manager time. I think this World Cup was a perfect 
the time and break for for Kike Setien, you know, to try and uh, get the players to understand his system because of course he's also going to play a, a very different style of football. So I mean, it's a lot of things coming on. Also, Gerard Moreno uh, was also injured when Kike Setien came on, except for the, I think the last game against Espanol or something like that, where he had a few minutes. So I mean, all of this doesn't help. But now, as as you as you were asking me before, that uh, with this little preseason, it seems to be that they've uh, looked sharper with every game you know they've had some good results against strong european sides uh, similar level we could say to be like for example of course napoles aston villa etc where they've actually managed to win obviously it's it's a friendly games we can't really take too many conclusions there but that definitely helps uh, a lot of these players to to understand what kike setien wants so i mean um, this this is going to be very good for him as a manager to, manager to to be able to regain the trust of the fans especially who are chanting for him to leave which i thought was quite shocking you know seeing how he barely had any time to do anything but i guess uh Villarreal fans are now very um or expect a lot because you know they've won a european competition and and, and they want more which i guess is part of the ambition uh, of, of wanting of winning and, and wanting to to get more so uh hopefully this will allow the fans to connect a bit more if, of course, he starts getting good results uh, when the competition kicks off again. Setien explains that to the president, saying that uh, there was a guy called Yerai who used to work in the bar or the cafe that he used to go to every day um, when he was back home in Cantabria. <laughs> and from there came uh, the sort of mental lapse, the slip. But yeah, hopefully he can sort of turn it around and, and really put his own stamp on this Villarreal because I think, yeah, Setien, for all his critics, I do think he's probably quite a likeable guy in person and so I think if he can win over the Villarreal squad then we could see a different Villarreal but of course that is probably the most tricky thing to do in management. Um, coming on to some more kind of situations shall we say, um, apparently Isco has had a bust up with Monchi and is on his way out the door. All's not well at Sevilla and we, we kind of know that, I mean they're sitting sort of yeah right at the bottom of the table but this is a, a disastrous, I mean he was a star signing in the summer and this is Monchi again who brought in Dolberg, who brought in Nianzu, who brought in Marcao. None of these signings have worked and Isco it could well be sort of the last that we see of him in La Liga given he's what sort of aging into his 30s now. If he goes away for two, three years he might not come back. Yeah, I was actually very excited to see Isco in Sevilla this season. I, it's a player that I've always loved, especially from his times at Malaga. It was just incredible to see how much talent he had at such a young age. And, uh, of course, in Madrid, he had his ups and downs. But leaving, I thought, would be good for him, especially leaving with Lopetegui, who who wanted him. You know, it was, it was also part of of the reason why Isco went to Sevilla, because he was, he was there. And, of course, having fired Lopetegui, I think that changed a lot of the situation for Isco, where maybe he doesn't have... Sampaoli's full confidence, I guess, or, or something isn't uh, as he'd expected it to be, and, and now he's unhappy and he's very likely leaving. And it's disappointing because, of course, uh, Isco arrived to Sevilla, I think, in very complicated circumstances because, as we know, the club isn't doing well. It's, it's near the bottom of the table. It's It's been struggling all season so far. Results haven't been there, so that doesn't allow you maybe to adapt uh, the best way but now I mean I don't know I wish he could stay a bit longer and, and Sevilla could improve with Isco but if he has to leave and, and he thinks there's better opportunities outside then I mean he has to leave I don't know if maybe Papu Gomez and Montiel can bring some of that uh, those winning vibes back to Sevilla when they come from the World Cup uh, but yeah I mean it's, it's a pity because Isco has tons and tons of talent it's bags of talent you know he's a fantastic player uh, obviously 
he's not the guy he used to be, but he's still got the quality, and I think he can still be important for a team like Sevilla if they find a way to, to integrate him well. But yeah, Sevilla's going through a tough time, and I guess Isco maybe doesn't want any of that. Yeah, no, I think um, I think the situation of the club probably doesn't help matters there. It makes everything a little bit more tense. And just uh, finally, very quickly, I mean, Joao Felix, the Atleti CEO, has come out and said that he's asked to leave and that it wasn't their idea to sell, but if he wants to leave, then they, they won't make him stay. Do you see him going in January? I mean, there's rumours of Matthias Cunha also exiting. It seems like this is a bit of a watershed moment for Atleti and they're, they're maybe trying to start again. But yeah, a deal in January for Joao Felix or is he staying till the summer? I honestly think he, he won't leave this summer. I mean, there's been rumours for, for so many like transfer market windows where, where Joao Felix might leave if, if, if the other club paid, I don't know, 100 million or more than Atleti had already paid Benfica. So, I mean, take into account they're probably going to ask a very big chunk of money I don't think it's going to happen in this transfer market I don't see any team coming with with all that cash you know and, and allowing him to go and I don't see uh, Atletico letting him go take into account that the season isn't isn't over you know there's still a lot to do and, and they need the quality that Joao Felix can provide even though Simeone isn't very happy but uh, I mean before the World Cup the last two games you know Joao Felix was being quite important for the team he was coming on and getting goals so I mean uh, he's he's a key player to have especially if you're going to sell Marcos Cunha and other strikers so I mean uh, they need Joao Felix and uh, I don't think any big offers are coming now so yeah definitely I think it'll be uh, the, the summer and summer when he leaves and I think he will leave finally because uh, it's unsustainable you know it's been going on for too long they expected too much out of Joao which I understand because they paid a lot of money but it's never really clicking with him he needs to play somewhere else I feel like yeah, I think Antoine Griezmann is going to have the keys back <laughs> when he returns from the World Cup uh, to Atleti. But with that, I think we will wrap up. We've had uh, some really good, interesting thoughts. And I think it was just uh, it was fun to, to break down that World Cup final because uh, it was so, so exciting. But yeah, thank you very much for your time, Thanks. Roman. And we'll be back again before La Liga starts. We'll have a sort of um, a roundup podcast of just kind of refresh everyone's minds as to where we are. So keep keep an eye out for that and also make sure you're at llonline.substack.com because we'll have plenty of good content on there in the coming days we're sending out daily articles at the moment so uh, make sure you don't miss all of the good content that's going up on there but with that i will bid you goodbye and i will bid you a happy night week month celebrating if you're an argentine enjoy the celebrations sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.